This is the My Bloody Hell podcast, the podcast where we share stories about perimenopause. Hello, superwomen. Welcome to episode number four of the My Bloody Hell podcast. I'm your host, Lori Tharps. I'm a journalist, an educator, a mother, and fellow member of Team Paramenopause. Fun fact, I'm also a newly arrived expat to the south of Spain, so my perimenopause journey is in Spanish these days. Can you say menopausia? <laughs> if this is your first time tuning in, welcome, and I hope you find what you're looking for here on this show. And if you're returning after listening to some of our other episodes, thank you so much for coming back. We are a new and growing show, and I appreciate everybody's support. On episode four of the podcast, I'm really excited to share my conversation with award-winning novelist Dana Spiota. Dana is the author of the new critically acclaimed novel, Wayward, which tells the story of a woman named Samantha Raymond whose life has just begun to come apart. Trump has been elected, her mother is ill, and her teenage daughter is increasingly remote. At 52, Samantha finds herself staring into the mids, you know, those nighttime hours of supreme wakefulness where women of a certain age contemplate their lives. In Sam's case, this means motherhood, mortality, and the state of an unraveling nation. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? When Sam falls in love with a beautiful, decrepit house on the wrong side of town, she buys it on a whim and flees her suburban life and her family in an attempt to find beauty in the ruins. It is an amazing book that I swear every woman who's going through perimenopause right now will completely relate to. Now, Dana is also the author of several other award-winning works of fiction, including Innocence and Others, Stone Arabia, and Eat the Document. She lives in Syracuse and teaches in the Syracuse University MFA program. Dana and I had a spectacular conversation because she is as smart and snarky as her novel, Wayward. During our conversation, which includes no spoilers from the book, I promise, so don't worry, you can listen to the conversation and then go read the book later, we talk about her motivations for writing a book about menopause, the invisibility of women of a certain age, we talk about why we need to normalize conversations about the things that happen to our bodies, and we even talk a little bit about Edith Bunker's menopause moment on All in the Family, plus a whole lot more. It's really an honest and sometimes hilarious conversation. In fact, it's probably made more hilarious because one of us only had two hours of sleep before recording, but that didn't stop us from sharing some real truth bombs about perimenopause, menopause, writing, and a woman's worth. I really hope you enjoy this episode, and there's an extra bonus at the end because somebody is going to win a free copy of Wayward, but you have to listen all the way till the end of the show to hear how to enter the giveaway. So please stay tuned. Before I share our conversation, I do have to take a moment to thank our amazing sponsor for this first season of My Bloody Hell, Yum Day. Now, I don't want you to think about this as an ad break or just sponsor talk. I really am so grateful that Yum Day, a company founded by a woman of color, decided to take a risk and sponsor this first season of the podcast. I am so grateful and honored by their support. 
I'm grateful because Leah Ballantyne, the founder of Yum Day, believed so much in the mission of this podcast. And I'm honored because Yum Day is such a badass company. I mean, it's a subscription snack box company that prioritizes snack companies led by women and people of color. How cool is that? I mean, mission-driven snacking alone is awesome. But also the types of snacks that Yum Day offers are awesome in their own right. I mean, where else are you going to find carrot cake cookies, pepperoni crisps, and popped water lily seeds? And the best part is you don't have to, like, run all over town to different stores to get these awesome snacks. You just need to go to your computer and put in your order because Yum Day delivers to your door and they're always bringing new and innovative snacks to their subscription boxes. So you're always going to get something new and different. Please support this new company just as they have supported My Bloody Hell. And to make your support even easier, I have a special code that you can use for 15% off any order from Yum Day. The code is MBHPOD15. That's MBH for My Bloody Hell Pod 15. And you get 15% off when you order from yumday.co. That's yumday.co. Check for the links in the show notes. Now, let's get to our interview. Welcome to My Bloody Hell, Dana Spiota. Thank you, Lori. Thanks for having me. Before we get into this interview, I want to just tell everybody why I'm so excited to have you here. Um, as a woman of a certain age who is experiencing all the things about perimenopause, when I saw your book, I actually read about it in the New York Times, I think, and I don't know if it was the review or it was a story about it, but the way the article was written, like, here's a book about something that we don't hear a lot about. And I saw a novel about menopause. And I was like, I need that. <laughs> I need some context and I need like a story, not just some like dry information. And reading your book felt like somebody had jumped in my head and created a character who was feeling so many of the things that I was feeling. So I want to ask you first and foremost, did you set out to write a book about menopause? I'm so glad to hear that you could relate to it. I did. I mean, that was fairly deliberate. I wanted to write about someone in midlife, a woman in midlife. I felt that there weren't a lot of depictions of menopause, explicit depictions of menopause. There are many depictions of middle-aged women and what that feels like in the body of a person going through it. And I think for me, fiction is about really kind of giving you that on-the-body experience of something from a very specific point of view. So this character, Sam, you know, she lives in Syracuse. She's not me, but I gave her a lot of my perimenopausal symptoms. And I had, I was at a writer's conference and these two older writers were talking and I started mentioning that I had trouble with sleeping, that I had brain fog, and they just turned to me and they said, oh yeah, this is going to go on for years. And I just thought, why isn't anyone talking about this, you know? And I had gone to my doctor, she's younger than I am, and she said, oh yeah, you'll probably put on like 10 pounds and your brain will be foggy and then it will go away. And I said, yeah, but I need my brain. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, well, I'm just going to 
put this into the character. And so although she is in every way very different from me, that part, the menopausal symptoms, I really wanted to write about from the inside. Because I do think that part of the problem is this kind of invisibility that I think there's a lot of shame around menopause. And I thought a lot about that. Why don't people, why don't women, feminists, sophisticated, whatever women who in every way seem self-possessed talk about it more? And I think there's a kind of a double whammy there. I think it's a combination of we are squeamish Americans in particular are very squeamish about bodily functions, particularly things around menstruation and female body functions, or at least people who experience those things, and aging. So we're still supposed to be a little bit ashamed about admitting that we're aging. And so when you talk about menopausal symptoms, you're really telling the world that you're getting old and, you know, and it feels too intimate somehow. And that that I really wanted to write against. I really wanted to be explicit about all of that. I think the reason, I think anybody who's listening to it who is a woman who's going through perimenopause will understand, obviously, these different emotions and feelings, physical, emotional, but to capture them in words, it's hard. And that's part of the reason why I think perimenopause is so hard, because it's hard to say hot flash and expect somebody to really understand the overwhelming heat and how it doesn't go away and where it comes from. How did you make sure that you were really getting it as a writer? I mean, you know, it's one thing to like say, I want to do this, but to really get the descriptions. Was that hard for you to get it on paper and make sure that it really did describe the feeling in a way that was, you know, honest? Well, I think it's always the challenge with writing about anything, right? And I think not all women get menopausal symptoms, not all people get them. And people get very different versions of them. Some people get multiple flashes during the day and other people don't get the flashes at all. And some people get the insomnia. So I just, you know, with any character writing, you just make one person story and you hope that there's enough reality in making it that specific that other people can relate to it and recognize it as a real experience, even if it doesn't precisely match theirs. And so then the other thing is just thinking about what's so interesting to me about that experience is that it happens that right in the time of your life where you often are, the most demands are put on you, the older generation is fading. And if you have children, you know, if you have children late, like many women do, the children are leaving just when you're getting these. And so just when you're needed the most in your life, you have these what can be debilitating symptoms. And so I think it forces you, and I, I was trying to think about how that feels, and it isn't just physical, although it starts on the body, but it does also affect you emotionally. A lot of women experience kind of disinhibition of rage. And I call it disinhibition of rage because one of the things that the character goes through in the book is she's, you know, lifting weights at the gym and this dude comes over much younger and tries to tell her she's lifting too much weight. And she's the only woman in the room and she loses it on him. And what she realizes is a couple of things. One is that it wasn't that she didn't always feel that way, but she just was able to repress it and make sure everybody else is okay take care of everybody else, make sure the man just doesn't feel hurt, laugh or do something. This time she just yells at him and she understands it's not that the symptoms are making her feel things she doesn't feel. It's just that she doesn't have as many fucks left to give about repressing it or she can't repress it. And there's something liberating in that, but it's also something frightening in that because after you have that 
cortisol surge of anger. She finds it a little humiliating that she's lost control. So it's that feeling of your body being out of control and the disinhibition and all of that, which is also, I think, what it's like to be a human. Because as we age, what we realize is whether you have menopausal symptoms or not, your body is aging and it leads to one place for all of us. And we don't have that much control. And so I feel that it was a kind of a road to wisdom, at least for this character, is that to understand this profound change is to kind of work your way towards being a wiser, older person, understanding the bigger terms of your life. And I think that's where you get into that midlife crisis thing where you either decide to Pretend it's not happening, get lots of plastic surgery, and convince yourself you're not going to die. Or you kind of think about what the big picture means. And I think that that's what I was interested in. I didn't want these cliches of like getting a young lover or chasing after youth, which you often see middle-aged women doing. I wanted really to be about a bigger issue about mortality. Yeah, and I really liked how you, you know, you said this earlier, how this character is dealing with her mother and her teen daughter. And I think the way you did that, it does feel very, I don't want to say symbolic, but it's exactly what you said, how women who are in this kind of time of perimenopause and contemplating what the lifespan really is, they're looking below them and seeing their daughter rise up and age and become a mature woman. And they're looking at their aging parents and seeing the whole cycle like that. So I really like that about the book as well. And that, again, this is not a book about menopause. It's just that this woman is at that stage in life where these things become very clear, which I really, really did enjoy how you put this all together because it felt like, I really felt like I was learning something. You were bringing some different ideas to the table that was making me contemplate my own life. I have a daughter, I have an ailing mother, and I'm in the midst of menopause. So it really worked for me on multiple levels. And that's a good segue for what I want to do is I want to pull out a couple of ideas that I felt like were really interesting in the book and just kind of ask you what kind of message you were trying to get with these ideas. And I'm pulling out a couple of quotes that I thought really spoke to these different themes and ideas. The first one was, <laughs> this was just, it's funny, but it's also, I think, kind of speaks to your idea of why you wanted to write the book. But the main character, Sam, works at the Clara Loomis house. And Clara Loomis is a fictional historical figure. And Sam is a, like a docent or a tour guide at this house. And she's giving a tour to some young college students. And as she's telling Clara Loomis's story, there's a part where she has to mention menopause. And she gets to this part of her speech to these young college women and she says, quote, Sam emphasized the word menopause. She didn't know why, but she felt the urge to scream it at young women sometimes. She imagined herself shrieking, menopause, 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 but settled for merely enunciating it because she wasn't a total psycho. Not yet. So I just love that. And I really feel that is really one of the reasons I started this podcast. And I think what you were alluding to earlier that we don't talk about this. Talk to me a little bit about that idea and what you're thinking about, particularly for younger women, right? I mean, too late for us. We're, you know, shocked by the things that are happening sometimes. But why are we not talking about it to younger women? Why is this not a conversation that we have? Yeah, it's such a good question. There's a lot of judgment that women direct at each other. (laughs) 
And I think it starts, I started noticing this as a young woman. It starts around parenting, you know, everything from the pregnancy to whether you get an epidural to how long you breastfeed for to whether you sleep train your kid. Just there's so much of the mommy wars, right? And then it kind of goes up into middle age where like, you know, there you shouldn't get plastic surgery. You should get plastic surgery. You should take hormones. You shouldn't take hormones. Like all this fraught shit all the way through. And there isn't enough kind of like community and solidarity and acceptance that different people can make different choices for different reasons. And one of those things feels generational to me, especially like around Me Too. And then the book takes place in 2017. So it's the wake of Trump's election, which is a big part of of the story. And I think that just sort of seeing the generational differences between how women view the world and also feeling as a middle-aged person sort of complicit in the world as it is, because you've been here for 50 years. And so it's on you that it's still so messed up. And so then what do you say to your daughter as she emerges into this world that still feels so misogynistic (laughs) and problematic? And what did you put up with? And why didn't you talk more? So she's trying to correct what she perceives are mistakes that she's made. And she's very self-implicating. She's maybe extremely hard on other people, but extremely hard on herself too about it all. And I think that's partially because she's not getting enough sleep and because the hormones are raging, but it's also partially because it's true, you know? And she's trying to see herself with clarity, even if it isn't a flattering portrait. She's trying to be brave about what she's done with her life and what she should do with the rest of her life and wondering whether she'd been a good mother to her daughter in all these levels. And you can extrapolate that culturally and sort of say like, well, why aren't we having this conversation about menopause? And we should for ourselves, but for the women who are younger too. And I do think it comes into this idea that I don't think is really getting any better. And I feel that social media aggravates it, but there's still a lot of pressure on women to be young, beautiful cultural objects forever. Even smart women, even women who have careers, all this stuff, it's still there, you know? (laughs) And she has, a lot of times you have contradictory impulses around it. So Sam is full of contradictions and hypocrisies, right? She sees all the self-care and um, self-betterment as kind of a narcissistic enterprise, but she goes to the gym and lifts weights because it makes her feel better. And she she doesn't want to take any money from her husband, but she does. And she sleeps with him still, even though she left him. What I like about fiction is you can have all the contradictions and paradoxes and complexity there. You're not trying to say it's all this or all that. And so I think it adds a little nuance to it. And I hope it humanizes the experience more for people. So it isn't just this black and white thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And You know, I think that that's, you know, your comment that, you know, women aren't so nice to each other and we're judging each other all the time. And I feel like even when we're trying to give each other wisdom, like, you know, you're going to need that epidural or if you take an epidural, there's something wrong, you're going to hurt your baby. You know, like even in our guidance, we're still kind of competitive or judgy, right? So I love Sam's character in her imperfections, but that idea of like, I want to scream it because young people need to know, but probably if we said it and Sam tries it, you know, you're, you're screeching. You don't know what you're talking about. You're old. It's not going to be like that for us. I exercise now. I'm a vegan. It's not going to be like that for me, you know, (laughs) something like that. So I love that. So the next uh, theme that I wanted to just pull out was this idea that you actually also mentioned already a little bit, but the idea of 
middle-aged women becoming invisible or the invisibility of women once we're no longer fertile or we're no longer in our 30s, Young. if that, yeah. right? Okay, so this was the quote that I pulled out just to bring this to the fore. And I thought this was actually, I mean, this is just a minor little blip in the story, but there's this character, Marilyn, who our main character, Sam, is kind of obsessed with. She's a woman who, an older woman who sneaks on airplanes and goes wherever the airplane is going without a ticket and gets caught over and over again, but never does jail time. And Sam is obsessed with just, she's reading about her in People magazine, but she's obsessed with the story and she finds Marilyn fascinating, but she's also kind of mad that she doesn't get prosecuted because she's essentially saying like, the only reason they're not prosecuting her is because they think she's harmless because she's an older woman. And so she says, quote, Marilyn went unnoticed because no one wanted to notice her. She was a testament to the inconsequence of old ladies. That hit me. Like, the inconsequence of old ladies. Like, we don't matter. Talk to me a little bit about what you thought about that as you were writing. You kind of mentioned it earlier, but a little bit more about this invisibility. One of the things I was thinking is that society in some ways says we don't care about you anymore if you're no longer a sex object, if you're no longer young and beautiful. But at the same time, I think we as women also kind of buy into it and start wearing, you know, Chico's clothes and like, you know, <laughs> a lot of flax, right? Like, and, right, you know, right. like this kind of, it just kind of flows. I noticed I love all my aunties, but I just saw a picture of all my aunties and they all had the same like flax outfit on that covers everything, right? Um, right. It's very attractive, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's all neutral tones and, you know, and to a certain extent, I, I guess I'm saying again, I'm not, it's not about blame, but I do think that we buy into the idea that we're not important anymore also. So talk to me a little bit about that invisibility thing, because that is really interesting. And it's the next theme I want to talk about is kind of how you offer some other ways of looking at, you know, this time in our lives. So what's the invisibility thing? Well, it's interesting because the invisibility thing starts pretty early, right? Like you start to notice that, this thing that you never really wanted in the first place, which is just attention by random men, <laughs> starts to change, right? Like they're not looking at you, they're looking at your daughter or whatever. And that feels great on one level because you never really wanted, who needs all that extra attention? But another level, you do start to feel that you're looked at in a certain way. And it feels familiar because you used to look at older women that way, you know, like they don't have sexuality. They don't, they're unappealing. They're naggy. They're annoying. And it really came home to me. I remember during the uh, 2016 election, like it was kind of acceptable to despise Hillary for a lot of reasons, but one of which was that she's this older woman and she wears pantsuits and she's, you know, and you could pick it up and it came from women too. I mean, let's not forget a lot of a lot of white women voted for Trump, even though he had done these horrible things the month before we found out about the grabbing the pussy incident, right? So I was wondering about that. I was really interested in this idea of how we perpetuate misogyny within ourselves and what that means. And that's part of the problem is recognizing it in yourself. And so the, I guess I'm kind of the way to come back to invisibility is I think on some level, I also resent this idea that, that it's a superpower. So I understand that being invisible is liberating in a way because you can be the stealth person. That's what, what she thinks. But at the same time, nobody wants to be erased. Nobody wants to be insignificant, except that I think also ultimately as you age, 
men, women, everyone, you realize that part of what wisdom is as aging, maybe, is one idea that the book has, is imagining the world without you and imagining yourself as not the center of everything. And maybe that is a kind of youthful narcissism. And maybe it's okay that you are not the center of the universe. And maybe that is where wisdom lies. So I, I had some very complicated thoughts about it that I was trying to get at through the book and through this character. And I think she ends up in a different place at the end, a more accepting place without, I think, capitulating to this dismissal of the value of older women. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I'm, I love the nuance that, you know, she doesn't have to be centering herself, you know, like becoming something outrageous just to counteract the cultural expectations of becoming invisible. And Again, I don't want to do any spoilers or anything, but she definitely does. I think going back to the idea of mother, daughter, child, if you will, that there's something about that flow between generations that accepting and seeing the life cycle, right? That we all have a place in time and, and there's a time for everything and a like her mother's life seems wonderful, right? Like her mother kind of figured out life after her husband died, you know, she got to live on her own terms. So yeah, so I think she does a good job. I mean, I think the character, you know, shows us different ways of accepting invisibility or decreased visibility, if you will. But then there is this character of M.H., right? Um, and M.H., I think, as a character, gives us another way to, I call it reframing, menopause, right? Reframing midlife. And she's like this really interesting character who I went to Smith College and I just felt like she, <laughs> every time I read about MH, I was like, she would belong in Northampton, Massachusetts. Like she just, <laughs> she just feels like she could, like her secret group would be in Northampton, but she's kind of like the antithesis of Sam. So she's reclaimed menopause. And Sam says this about MH. MH was all about the gift of middle life, of menopause, a secret joy, freedom from childbirth and housework, and presumably the demands of men. And MH herself describes her kind of arrival to this point. She says, quote, when I turned 50, I was divorced, my son was grown up, and I realized I still had decades to go. It was the oddest thing. Just as the culture began to lose interest in me, just as the world decided I was irrelevant, I began to feel more myself than ever, louder, smarter, stronger. It felt truly adolescent, like I wanted to take drugs and drive fast and shave my head. And there was another line that was just incredible. Sam says this at one point, she says, when she's talking about menopause, she said she was no longer fertile, which was mostly a burden, a horrible lifelong threat. And then MH repeats that idea with when she's free from childbirth and when I first read, you know, that freedom from fertility, a lifelong threat, but then I was like, wait a minute, except for the three times that I wanted to have a child, every other time you're like, oh God, what if I'm pregnant? That was the worst thing ever. So talk about this idea of reframing menopause as a freedom instead of an ending. 
Well, I mean, uh, one of the things in the book with MH, and I think that appeals to Sam, is that rather than being apologetic, she is very defiant and uh, puts it front and center, and she's got this aggressive approach. She wants people to look at her and see her as she is. And so she does this kind of like unfunny stand-up where she goes to like the mall stand-up club and starts talking about her body from the beginning of menstruation all the way through menopause and all its detail. And these young men are booing and getting grossed out. And she loves it. She thrives on it. But she's full of contradictions, too. You know, and I don't want to give anything away, but people are not always what they seem. And a lot of people have contradictory impulses. So I think Sam gets something important from that. But I think she also sees that as an extreme that also is its own way a kind of narcissism or a kind of self-obsessiveness or obsessive with the surface body that maybe is shallow ultimately. It's not the whole story. She needs a little bit of that energy, but not the full expressiveness. And they have, you know, they have these Facebook groups that are very extreme, you know, harpies, harridans, and there's a lot of satire in that about hags, haggetry, which is great on one level, that in-your-faceness, right? But that also is spending a lot of energy just being sort of aggro, right? So, uh, <laughs> which maybe maybe you don't want to do. So I thought it was fun to explore all that. And of course, it gets a little exaggerated in parts of the book because it's fun to exaggerate things and sort of see it in a more satirical view. But I had a lot of fun writing that character. Yeah, she was a lot of fun. But I mean, and she makes, I mean, again... You know, it's like Sam is on one, is here, MH is over here. There's a bunch of different minor characters that have something to say. But, and I think this gets to the bigger picture where we started is that there really isn't enough out there, I don't think, for us to consume about what does a woman coming upon this time in her life look like? What does she feel like? How does she approach it? What should she be doing? And that's why, again, I really enjoyed the book and I did enjoy MH's. Again, no spoilers, but I did enjoy a lot of the things that she was saying. I shouldn't say enjoy, but the way she said, like, if you're not sleeping, why don't you use that time for something else, right? If you're not going to sleep, don't, you know, do something at the time. And the aggressiveness, you know, I'm I'm not interested in going to a stand-up comedy club and making people listen to horrible things that I say about my body. But the idea behind that is, like, You don't have to be invisible. You can make people pay attention to you. And again, it doesn't have to be an aggressive way, but you don't have to be invisible. And to a point even, I do think that, you know, even in this, the way you wrote the book, it's okay to talk about these things. And it could be talked about in a funny way. It could be a serious way. But if we just started normalizing what this period of life is and what it entails, the good, the bad, and the ugly, maybe we'd be in a better place. So with that, who do you want to read this book? Who did you write the book for? (laughs) Well, I don't think too much about the audience when I'm writing. I do believe that, that, you know, I grew up reading a lot of male writers writing about their male bodies and their male desires, and I could read it. So I don't think it's so terrible if people who don't menstruate read about menstruation or people who don't have menopausal symptoms read about because it's the human experience and we all live in the world with each other. And so I hope it's of interest to all people, young and old. And I've gotten some really interesting reactions from people. I have to say I've heard a lot from women in 
perimenopause and menopause that have really responded strongly. But I've heard from young people and I've heard from men because it affects everybody. And so I think I hope that it has a wide readership in that sense, you know, but I think that's important. I think you're right. I think just having a conversation about it is helpful. And I do think there's something to this acceptance idea. You know, I don't think it's a superpower. I don't think it's a blessing. I wouldn't go that far. But I do. (laughs) And I kind of annoyed when people say that because I'm like, come on. No, that's why this show is called My Bloody Hell, not yeah, my, my yeah. perfect, fl- no, uh-uh, yeah. absolutely. And I, so I kind of reject that, that you just accept everything and it's great. I think it's okay to talk about the discomfort and the pain of a body, but I also think that there are things that you don't have to fight your body either, right? You can say, okay, so you know what? Tonight, I guess it's 3 a.m. and I'm awake. And instead of like stressing about it, maybe I'm just going to go over and read a book for an hour. I mean, that's what my mom does. She gets up in the middle of the night and she just watches an old movie and then she goes back to bed. And I think my anxiety about sleeplessness sometimes makes it a worse symptom than it has to be. Obviously, you do everything to protect sleep, but there are some times when it's just going to happen, right? Sadly, speaking as someone who got two hours of sleep last night, Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. But it is true. There's that, you know, and this literally comes from childbirth. I had three children and the first two births were horrible. And the third birth, I was like, I get it now. Stop fighting it. Like, it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's going to be awful. But the more you fight, the worse it is. And my third birth was actually, I'm not going to say pleasant. It wasn't. It was awful. <laughs> but it was less awful than the other two because I didn't fight. And that is a lesson that I've taken in so many ways in the rest of my life is that things that are painful are less painful if you don't fight them. So I think that's definitely my messaging, at least with this podcast and you know anything else I talk about menopause is the struggle is the struggle. And I don't think anybody's going to say it's a blessing. I, that's just silly. Um, I think it's terrible that women, at least it should be shared with men. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, why are we the ones that have to deal with this? However, the struggle, and I think again, like I said, normalizing, if more people talked about it, because the anxiety, the unknown, just the sheer like shock of these things happening because nobody told you about it makes it worse. I think and the, and the shame, and the shame, too, I think. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. The shame, absolutely. And, and again, I think the more we talk about it, the shame disappears a bit because it's like, oh, she was telling her bloody hell story, and I can tell mine, too. Um, so are there any books or movies, TV show series that you think do a good job talking about menopause, midlife, women? Is there anything? Do you have a top? I was going to say a top 10 list, but maybe it's a top two list. <laughs> I actually, I wrote a list of it for BuzzFeed, which you can direct your listeners to if you want. It's called um, On the Verge, Imagining Women at Midlife in 10 Movies and Television Shows. But I'll give you some of the highlights. One is, of course, that there's that flea bag, season two, episode three, where Kristen Scott Thomas gives a little speech about menopause. Yeah, I love that. But I'm always aware of like when it comes up. And I do remember when I was a kid seeing Edith go through menopause on All in the Family. And you can watch that on YouTube, you know. I it's kind that. of amazing. I, yeah. saw, I mean, I saw, I saw the like reference. I was Googling something. I don't know if it was even your article, but I something mentioned that. And I was like, they were talking about menopause and all in the family? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And she finally stands up to Archie in that moment. So she's not herself, but she 
unleashes this rage at him, which he deserves, right? I mean, it all it's a sitcom, so of course it all gets sealed over and forgotten about by the next episode. But I was thinking about that, and, and there's a there's a lot of movies and books about middle-aged women, but the ones that are specifically about menopause, I would recommend where this menopausal symptoms are is there's a Darcy Steinke book called Flash Count Diary, which is a nonfiction book about menopause, but she brings in all these really interesting literary precursors to it and really talks. She keeps a diary of her flashes that she has. She's profound. I mean, she would get flashing like 18 times a day kind of thing, debilitating. But it's an amazing, it's a beautiful book. And it was just so great to sort of see somebody writing about their experience. And she talks about the only other mammal that goes through menopause are whales. So she talks a lot about whales. And it's a really interesting, beautiful, thoughtful book. And, you know, there's part of me that just wishes like Mrs. Dalloway had a hot flash just in the middle of that. But <laughs> but I did kind of get you know, I teach literature and I was really inspired by James Joyce because he always, when he talks about the interiority of his characters, he would talk about them going to the bathroom, blowing their noses, master. He talk about the, the stuff nobody talks about. And he has this character, Molly has her period at the end of Ulysses. So that kind of inspired me in my book. I thought, well, I'll just talk about some of the the physical symptoms, the sweat, the blood, all of that, and just kind of like not try to be squeamish about it, you know? And not that there's anything too disgusting in the book, but <laughs> it is something that, you know, just even bringing it up feels like um, transgressive in a way, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And again, I, I know I keep saying this, and sorry, listeners, but I'm gonna say it one more time. This book did such a good job. I mean, Sam's interior monologue and her descriptions of her body and the changes, the feelings, it's so good. I mean, it's so real. You just, again, I think any woman who's going through perimenopause is going to feel like, oh my God, somebody actually gets this. They didn't gloss over it. You know, they didn't just like, aha, flash, you know, and the way the rage felt, you know, and the heart palpitations, all those descriptions, the bodily reactions and responses, even to mental things like anger, we're so right on. So thank you for thank writing you. this really awesome book. No, thank you, really. So um, what's next? Are you working on a... I know this is an awful evil question to ask a writer, um, but are you working on something that you feel like telling our audience about? And take this time, feel, whether it's an article, a book, anything? I am working on an opera, actually, a libretto oh. for an opera. Yeah, I'm working with a visual artist and a composer, and we're doing... Um, an opera about the Newtown Creek in, in New York City, which is a very polluted waterway. And it's going to be performed on the creek. So it's kind of like a, an environmental fantasia, I would say. And I've never done anything like that before. So it's challenging. That sounds really exciting. Is this a midlife change? Is this something that's like, <laughs> I'm taking, I'm just going to do something new and why not? Every novel feels like a completely new thing but sometimes in between them because there's such a commitment for me they take four or five years so in between there's always a chance to kind of experiment with other stuff you know whatever writing screenplays writing nonfiction. now in this case a libretto but I will definitely go back to writing novels because honestly each novel is as any I'm sure you understand this as a writer it's endlessly challenging and feels like a frightening risk that there's plenty of challenge there. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Wonderful. Well, do you have a social media presence or where do you direct people if they want to just find out more about your books and read more? Maybe even just where do you direct them to get a copy of Wayward? Well, you should be able to get a copy of Wayward anywhere that you buy books. I have a website danaspieta.com and the best way to reach me is to email me either through the website or danaspieta gmail i'd love to hear what people think about the book always excellent i will put those links in the show notes dana thank you so much for being a guest on the my bloody health podcast thank you so much Lori. those were really great questions All right. Did you love that conversation as much as I did? I hope so. And I hope it gave you some food for thought about how we talk about menopause and how we approach this middle stage of life. Do you need to reframe menopause in your mind? Do you feel like you've become invisible? Is invisibility your superpower? Or do you feel forgotten by society? I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's conversation and what feelings and ideas it might have brought up for you. Have you read Wayward? I want to hear what your thoughts about the book and see if you loved it as much as I did. Please feel free to leave your thoughts and comments about this conversation or about Wayward on the My Bloody Hell Facebook page or on our Instagram page. And while you're over there on the gram, if you'd like to win a free copy of Dana's novel, Wayward, all you have to do is follow My Bloody Hell on Instagram at my underscore bloody hell and leave a comment that says, book please on the post about wayward so when you go to our instagram feed you'll see a post with the book jacket or the book cover of wayward leave a comment that says book please under there i'll make sure that you're already following us and one lucky winner will be selected from those comments on saturday october 9th at 12 p.m eastern standard time all right so get to uh, following so you can win a copy of wayward Thank you so much for listening and supporting this passion project of a podcast of mine. I really want everybody to know that My Bloody Hell was launched as a calling. I really didn't have plans in this mid-stage of my life to start a podcast about perimenopause, but I saw a problem in the world and felt compelled to act. The podcast, the membership, it's all part of my mission to make sure that my generation, Generation X, is the last one to suffer through perimenopause in silence uninformed, and feeling alone. If you can just take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, it will really go a long way in helping more people find the show, listen to the show, and become a part of not just the movement, but the solution to this problem of women being silenced. And speaking of women being silenced, if listening to the show has made you feel like somebody is hearing you and that somebody else can feel your pain, that somebody else gets you, then you should consider joining the My Bloody Hell membership community. We're going to be opening the doors to the membership on October 18th. And as a member, inside the membership, you will find a supportive community of women who are pretty much in the same stage of life that you are women who you can talk to at any time of the day or night. You'll have access to experts in the fields of medicine, nutrition, and wellness, etc., who can answer your questions, your burning questions that don't seem to be answered by your own doctors and 
experts in your world. We'll also have regular monthly gatherings and workshops of classes and just social gatherings and fun workshops to help you make it to menopause without losing your mind and maybe having a little fun along the way. And just so you know, I'm not hiding how much it costs because it's really inexpensive. It's only $10 a month to be a part of this membership community. $10 a month. I don't even break it down to a coffee a day because I think that'll get you like two coffees for the month. Anyway, I'm not trying to build a million dollar empire. I'm really trying to build a sustainable community that is going to help women. So if you want more information about the membership, go to mybloodyhell.com and you'll find everything you need to know. That's mybloodyhell.com. Next week, we're going to be hearing a woman's story of her experience with perimenopause that coincided with her grief journey over the death of her father. And now I'm sure as we are the sandwich generation right now, taking care of parents and kids, that this story will really resonate with many of you out there. So please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss it when it drops or any other of our outstanding upcoming episodes. Okay. That's all I have to share this week. I will be here next Wednesday, and I hope you will too. Until then, please be good to yourselves, and I'll see you then. The My Bloody Hell podcast is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Good B Music. And hey, one last thing. I am not a doctor nor any other type of medical professional. Therefore, please do not use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for verifiable medical advice or information. Always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have any medical questions or concerns regarding menopause, perimenopause, or any other health-related issue. Thank you. Thank you.